Real life, your slice of life. With John Cowan. On News Talk ZB. G'day and welcome to Real Life. I'm John Cowan and I watched an excellent movie this week called One Chance. It's a fascinating tale of a shy Welsh store manager who seized his dreams. The story of a man who won Britain's Got Talent in 2007, Paul Potts, and he joins me now. Welcome to Real Life, Paul. Thank you. Paul, you're a surprising man. I mean, when you walked out on stage in that audition for Britain's Got Talent, inevitably people are going to form impressions of you just mm. by your demeanour, and you're a shy yeah. man. In actual fact, uh, you'd actually already racked up a number of achievements. For instance, you're a Bristol City's youngest city councillor. That must have been quite an interesting thing for a shy person like yourself to actually be entering into politics. Well, I was able to speak up for other people better than I was able to speak up for myself. I, I, I find public speaking quite difficult, but if I had a cause to follow, it was easier for me. Um, but it's, it's very different from speaking up for yourself. I was absolutely hopeless mm. at speaking up for myself, all the way through school um, and, and beyond it. And, and there were, I mean, I suffered some, some bullying from the Conservative Party leader, actually, in, in council who, who sang to me as I entered the room. And I really found it, you know, it's pathetically immature. And, he, and at the time, my, my teeth were in a bad state. And as I entered uh, the education committee room, he, he, um, he sang All I Want for Christmas with My Two Front Teeth. Which you know he's, he, he was he was knighted, he was a knighted politician and and you know there's just better ways of people conducting themselves and mm. you know I I just said nothing I it, it kind of made me feel a little humiliated and you know there, there's no reason for people because it's it, it, you know, adults get bullied too and mm. and there there is no need for people to speak to people in in, in in that way. Next, John Cowan talks to BBC sports journalist and cricket commentator Henry Blofeld. I wrote for about 10 years, and then broadcasting came to me in 72. I think I did my first ever broadcast to the BBC in May 72, and was asked to join Testmat Special in August, in August and September later that year. So it all happened quite quickly. I, I think that, uh, didn't you do a bit of broadcasting in Jamaica under false well, pretenses? You are actually quite right. I had done, had a bit of a net out there, certainly. Uh, but uh, for the BBC, I mean, it, it, may have, it probably helped me, it did, because I went out there when New Zealand were, in fact, out there. In 71 too, their first tour of the Caribbean, and Alan Richards, who sadly died the other day, uh, was there, and he had agreed to commentate for two local radio stations simultaneously at different ends of the ground, which even for a man of his genius was going to be difficult. And he asked, he, we met earlier on, he said, have you ever done any broadcasting and sensing a chance? I said, I've hardly ever done anything else. Why? And anyway, I took over the other spot. In the following piece, John speaks with TV presenter Tony Street. Your poor parents, because... This was a, a sadness on top of a sadness on top of a sadness for oh, your family. They've, they've had a ridiculous run in their lives. Um, I had a, a twin brother that died at 18 months old from leukaemia. Mm-hmm. I think Lance was diagnosed around 8 or 9 months old. Yeah. So here they were with twin babies. They'd just bought a dairy farm down in Taranaki, were mortgaged to the hilt, and yeah. they were having to travel to Auckland for treatment while trying to still take care of their other baby. And, of course, Lance died, and then um, Mum and Dad tried for another baby, which they had, but Tracy was born without kidneys, so was never going survive so but they didn't realize that until mum had given birth so she dies uh, a day after being born 
And then, of course, the next child they had was my brother Stephen, who yeah. born completely healthy, yeah. um, a lovely wee boy, the perfect child, and he later died at age 14. So now um, my sister and I are mum and dad's only children still alive. There's a seven-year gap between us um, because of the children that they've lost in between. That, that is just so sad, and uh, you'd never get over the ache of that. Some of the sting would go, and I, I, I was thinking that little Juliet must be bringing a lot of joy and healing into their, oh, into their hearts too. Absolutely, and I, and I knew that would be the case, and I was so determined. And I mean, I've always wanted children myself, but I knew that that would be something that could give mum and dad such huge joy. Next, John interviews comedian and broadcaster Jeremy Corbett. Jeremy, sometimes on the show we, we dip into people's beliefs and, and things. I'm just wondering, is, is there anything lurking in, in, in your faith closet? In, in the religious aspect? Yes. Uh, I, I do. I get teased a lot uh, by logical people. And, and because I'm from a computing background and I sort of have that scientific, logical approach to things, they struggle with the fact that I do believe in something. Uh, and I can't really tell you what, and I'm not aligned with any particular religion. I formed an opinion early on that religion tends to spoil faith. And I guess that means that I've got my own religion, which fits perfectly with what I do, which mm-hmm. might sound a bit of a cop out, and perhaps it is. But no, I've, I've always felt uh, I've always felt a belief in something, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, hard to articulate what what that might be. Next up, John speaks with New Zealand politician Paula Bennett. Now life has its twists and turns, and you found yourself a, a mum at seventeen. Yeah, look, I mean, I was always, um, as I say, rather opinionated. I was always a bit uh, sort of questioning and challenging and all the rest of it. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I was mum at such a young age. I'm a grandmother now. You know, that's, that's the reality of it, that, that we girls now 27 years old. Um, and for all those blessings, it certainly changed my life. There's no two ways about it. It can't have been easy. I mean, uh, you stayed with your parents, but then shifted up to Auckland? Yeah, I stayed with them for a while, and then I um, went flatting. I lived on my own. I, look, I remember it as being... Being, um, an incredibly confusing, isolating, lonely time, to be quite honest. Yeah. And I had support. So, you know, I, um, I have so much respect for those that are raising their children on their own um, and that are doing the best that they can because I know how hard it is. And yes, there's the financial challenges. You know, yes, there's that, that sort of day-to-day struggle at some level. But boy, it's the weight of being alone and, and making life decisions for, for you and a child when you're in every effect. In my case, a child just here, John Cowan talks with rugby great John Kerwin. So, in your in your dark moments, was God there for you? Well, that's a really interesting story, you know, because I was brought up a Catholic, and um, so the answer is yes or no, and I'll elaborate because it's okay. an interesting story. So, you know, I was brought up to say that if I, you know, if I'm in trouble and I ask God for help, He'll be there. Mm. You know, and I was, and I did, and He wasn't. Mm. I didn't think He was, and. Um, I really struggled with that for a few years, and I was doing a, a prenup for get, to get married. I was supposed to do six weeks, but I negotiated it down to three days, and it was in Italy. And I went in, and I was talking to this Italian priest about um, you know about my struggles and stuff, and he said, um, "Oh, okay, that's interesting. Did you have love around you?" And I said, "Yeah, you know, I had my family, and you know, I had my wife to be, and you know, I had a, a few other people around that were really caring." He said, "Well, God is love." And wow, so, and and it's true, isn't it? Yeah, and, and yeah. it all made sense. And um, and then he asked me another real interesting thing. I wasn't expecting him to come back at me so hard, but he did. He said, "So, um, how can you promise me that you won't be back here asking a divorce within three years?" 
Exactly. Exactly. And I and I couldn't answer it. And I said, um, you know, I, I can't really answer that one to be honest. And he said, well, most people when they get married, they think it's the end and not the beginning. So they've done all the courting and they've got their beautiful lady and and then the kids come along and they stop working on their relationship. So he said, you can be married 40 years and if you don't work on it the 41st, you can fall out of love. So mm. make sure that no matter what happens in your life, you keep working on your relationship. Finally, here's a bit of John's interview with actor Cliff Curtis. I mean, I must admit that when I, when I first heard the storyline about a, a, a mentally ill Maori man who sort of rescues a young guy from gang influences by teaching him chess, I thought, how silly. Yeah. And yet it is, it is so, such a credible story. Have you had mentors in your life, mentors that change your direction at certain stages? That's absolutely right in terms of mentorship. Mine is Mitomohi. Okay. Um, and uh, when I was about 12, 13, I was uh, a ward of the state. That's a long story in and of itself, but <clears throat> I ended up on Makoya Island. The social welfare workers recommended that I attend this thing called a wānanga, where I'd learn the traditional arts of the Māori, the taiaha, and, um, and their tutor was uh, Mitamohi, who so, became my lifelong mentor. So you're stuck on the middle of Lake Rotorua. Yeah, on Makoya Island. Uh, and, yeah. and being taught the sort of Māori martial arts... Yeah, you know, it, you know, we were handed the equivalent of a, a broomstick or a, something that we could find in the bush, and we just started there. It was very humble. It was about ten or twelve um, young boys and Mita, and you know, essentially, we, you know, if you're looking at it from the outside, we're kids jumping up and down with a stick. But you know, what he did is, is much like Genesis used the the game of chess to instill in these young people the possibility of tapping potential in themselves that they didn't even know they had. And yeah. Little he was the same for me. Yeah. You know, it's like, you know, every day is a learning day. And I actually put that line in I, I remember, yeah. In the in the movie. Um, and that, that line actually comes from Matamohi. Um, so it's, a, it's uh, sort of lovely that you're able to turn the movie a, a little bit into a tribute to this man that influenced you. Yeah, and I've never spoken. This is the first time I've spoken about that. I didn't even tell the director or anybody. It's the first time I've mentioned that. Every day is a learning day, but we have to contribute, you know. And those, those are the kind of values that he instilled in me that I treasure to this day. 